Did you ever wonder what could have been with the AWA had things gone differently? Had their fortunes gone differently? Had certain wrestlers not left and perhaps more money would have been at the disposal of the Ganyas? Well, wonder no further. You can go to Brad Drake's YouTube channel and experience the 1987 Supermod for yourself. As Brad Drake starts off in May 1987, along with Greg Ganya, Baron Von Rochke, Vern Ganya himself, Nick Bockwinkle, Larry Zabisco, Kurt Hennig, and a slew of others as he plays and saves the AWA. Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. We are on here today because of you, viewers and watchers like you. In order to continue the podcast, we need to monetize our YouTube channel so we can get guests on that require financial compensation. That's where viewers like you come in. If you subscribe today, we can get that number up to 1,000. And as an incentive, the 1,000 subscriber will receive a free t-shirt just like this and receive a book from the legendary George Shire on his Minnesota Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Ganyu to the Road Warriors, signed by George Shire himself. So please get on there, tell your friends to subscribe today and when you hit that 1,000 mark, you're gonna get a t-shirt like this. I'm gonna reach out to you. You're gonna be coming on the show as a guest and receive that book, The Minnesota's Golden Age of Wrestling from Vern Ganyu to the Road Warriors, signed by George Shire. So get on there today, subscribe, and please enjoy the podcast. another edition of bumps and thumps the talk of wrestling i'm brian ferguson my guest today was the legendary producer of the awa's all-star wrestling and known as polish joe he is also the co-host of the self-proclaimed number one preeminent podcast awa unleashed with chris tubbs and mick cart Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome in Polis Joe Jupik. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Brian. How are you doing? I, I, I got to say, before you even get into that, legendary producer just sounds, um, I will take the compliment, but uh, hey, I was just a video guy doing professional wrestling and uh, uh, at, at the right place at the right time, I suppose. Yeah, I mean... When you get recognition from legendary commentators like Ron Trongard, <laughs> Lee Marshall, Larry Nelson, Al Darusha, that says a lot. And especially because we, before we uh, came on, I asked you, you know, because you're not, you don't look that old. And I was like, how old were you? And you said you were 20 years old when you started there. And I was just in shock because, you know, I never met, I never saw who you were until we met at AWA reunion back in October. And I was like, man, he don't look that old to be, but kudos to you for what you've done. So well, I appreciate it. I was indeed 20 years old. Um, all of those. Um, uh, so I forgot to turn my alerts off all of those, um, you know, kudos from, uh, I will call them legendary announcers, um, very humble, very appreciative of yeah. 
uh, of them doing that, of course, Larry Nelson was the one that gave me the moniker Polish Joe. And <laughs> there's a reason that you didn't see me for a long time on camera because that was the whole gimmick, I suppose, back in the day, the unplanned yeah. gimmick known as Polish Joe. Yeah. No, it was, a, I mean, I enjoyed it as a kid. It was a great program, especially when you guys went to Vegas. Uh, you know, it was, I miss it. And I know a lot of people do. So you've come a long way since then. You still live in Minnesota. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about growing up. I know you're from Minnesota. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about your childhood growing up and how you got started in in, in the wrestling business. Wow. Well, I I grew up in a a small town called South St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I guess uh, first thing it would have been famous for was at one point it had the world's largest stockyards. And growing up just the hill from those stockyards on any particular warm, humid evening, you were reminded of the infamous stockyards. But um, no, I mean, I grew up a wrestling fan. My mom and my godmother, uh, who lived right across a, a city park from where I grew up, they were huge wrestling fans. And I guess by extension, my dad was as well. But it was my mom and my godmother. They're the ones that got me hooked into it. Uh, Going back to the Saturday night broadcasts of All-Star Wrestling with Marty O'Neill, the the run, don't walk to get your tickets to that Saturday evening (laughs) event. Um, You know, grew up, I I remember my first match, my first main event match at the old St. Paul Auditorium. Um, It would have been, Oh, gosh, probably, I'll say 69, 70. I mean, who the hell remembers you know, when they're four yeah. or five years old? At least all of the details. Um, right. But the first main event, and the way I tell the story is I uh, went there, and the main event was uh, Mad Dog Bashan versus Crusher in a cage, and I was hooked. Yeah. It just became... Uh, uh, a, a Saturday evening staple, later a Sunday morning staple, mm-hmm. and uh, never did I dream of working for the AWA. It wasn't an aspiration, um, but I did. I did, and yeah. uh, that, that's a, a whole nother story, but that's, um, you know, I mean, that in a very small nutshell is my growing up as it pertains to professional wrestling. Yeah. Um, graduated, uh, well, in high school, uh, as I sort of uh, move into how I got started in my career. In high school, I did all of the PA announcing for the high school sports. Uh, I've been a longtime sports fan and had aspirations to be a play-by-play commentator for either football or baseball. So I went a year to the U, uh, University of Minnesota, and uh, uh, discovered college just really wasn't for me, and decided to go, dropped out after, um, uh, actually dropped out after uh, the fall of what would have been my sophomore year. Um, I was the equipment manager for the University of Minnesota football team under uh, Lou Holtz. 
Okay. And uh, decided I just, I needed to do something different. Um, I, I would, I just didn't want to do college. So I went to, um, uh, I guess you could call it a technical school called the Brown Institute back in the day. Um, it evolved to Brown College. It's no longer around, but Brown Institute um, is a nine-month course, three months of radio, three TV, and another three of radio. And it was during the TV course, the three months of that, the very first day there was uh, a new student that was just there for uh, the television part of it. And I recognized the last name, and it happened to be Kathy Gagne, oh. one of one of Vern's uh, four four children. And I, I believe Kathy is second in the pecking order. I think it's Greg, Kathy, Donna, and then Beth. But um, I, when I heard the name, I had to ask. Yeah. Well, being a wrestling fan, and she said, yeah, um, I'm Vern Gagne's daughter. Well, that just opened up the floodgates to a bunch of questions. Uh, the, the very, this, I guess, technically, the second question that I asked her was, um, what was the Crusher's real name? Crusher was my favorite wrestler growing up, and she told me it was Reggie Lazowski, and we just became friends. Yeah, and uh, once TV was done, went back to radio. I didn't think anything of you know the the the, the friendship or or any connection to Kathy Ganya, let alone the AWA. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah, uh, the day I graduated, or our class graduated, um, went down to a, a little bar a couple of blocks down called the Poodle Club. Uh, you know, might have had a drink or 10 that day and uh, <laughs> I get home. And uh, one of my classmates, um, as Larry Nelson calls him, Whipper Will Bryan, uh, who was a classmate, uh, uh, an Iowa Hawkeye fan. And uh, he called me up and said that Kathy had called him about coming in to run camera for some interviews for the AWA. And Will said, yeah, sure, sounds good. He wasn't really a wrestling fan, but he thought, yeah, it sounds good. And then she asked Will if there was anybody else that he could think of um, that would be good for it. And Will right away says, well, yeah, what about what about Joe? And uh, Kathy apparently said, oh, you know, I can't believe I didn't think of him. So went into um, the AWA offices the following Monday and uh, both Will and I uh, were, were given the crash course on how to operate uh, the, the camera and, uh, and so forth. And the first interviews that we did, uh, that, that we recorded was of gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity Steve Regal along with their manageress Precious they had just the night before in uh, St. Paul, they had de defeated the Road Warriors for the Tag Team uh, Championships. And of course, I always have to add in the caveat of 
with the help of the fabulous freebirds, those dastardly flying freebirds. <laughs> yeah. And um, so we did uh, several interviews with Garvin and Regal and Precious uh, for, for different, uh, 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 we did general interview, a couple of market edit interviews for upcoming matches they had in the towns. That's the way uh, the show was done back then. Mm -hmm. And we got done with it. And the producer at the time, uh, Mike Shields, who uh, actually came up from Memphis, uh, Jarrett, uh, Jerry Jarrett uh, recommended Mike to uh, Vern when the AWA got the ESPN contract. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike asked us into the office and said, hey, would you guys be interested in doing an internship? Well, shit, I'm 20 years old. I'm fresh out of <laughs> broadcast school. And here I thought I was going to, you know, go to some small town and, you know, with a population of about 30 people broadcasting as a as a DJ or something along those lines or or doing play-by-play -play commentary for some local town team. I thought, I, by all means, yes, I'd yeah. love to take the internship. And so October 7th of... 1985, I started my career as a production assistant, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow, that is amazing. That is, you know, what a stroke of luck that <laughs> you got, you were in a class with, with uh, Kathy Ganya, uh -huh. and, uh, you know, I, I've talked to Greg uh, several times, nice guy. Um, mm -hmm. I've never met the sisters in person. I've I've only met Greg, and uh, they seem like a, a a nice family. And uh, you know, I remember on seeing them on TV sometimes doing interviews or whatever, and it was pretty it was pretty neat. Do you ever wonder what would happen if? Well, if if you give a dad a podcast, I'm what you call a nerdy fan. I nerd out at this stuff, hardcore. You'll hear me talk about anime on here. You'll hear me talk about Power Rangers. You'll hear me talk about wrestling on here. Okay. Had an axe handle with a twisted T on it. <laughs> it <was> right <laughs> after that twisted T video went viral. And man, they went out and grabbed it and smacked the dude in the head with it. It was so... That's great. That's I'd like to thank this podcast as a nostalgia moment for me. It's a show where I can talk about whatever I want. I'm a, I'm a human and animal chiropractor. There was a picture of me. It looked like I was on the side of a ramen box over in China. But... So I took my kids with me to Comic-Con. I thought that was really cool. Well, I don't know if my wife should listen to this podcast. We'll cut that part out. <laughs> like, and then Robert said this. <laughs> if you give a dad a podcast, available now on all podcasting platforms. Let's talk a little bit about the, you know, you had a lot of interaction, obviously, with those guys once you started in there. Can you give us a story maybe of a, maybe a really interesting one that you had with one of the, a, a well-known wrestler? Oh, my. There are, <laughs> the, the, there are uh, several um, of them. Uh, I, um I guess let me share uh, a story with uh, that involves Sherry Martell. Okay. So my very, <clears throat> excuse me, my very first trip 
to Las Vegas when uh, the AWA shifted from doing the shows um, uh, in Atlantic City as part of Pro Wrestling USA and the early uh, AWA Championship wrestling matches were done. Mm -hmm. uh, switched over to the showboat, and you know, here I am, um, still a twenty-year-old kid. Maybe I was twenty-one at the time, but uh, going to Vegas. Actually, I no, I would have been twenty because I remember if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, you had to be twenty-one to drink in Vegas at the time. And I wasn't quite there, but I managed to maybe get a cocktail or two uh, <laughs> playing the machines. But anyway, so uh, the, the the trips to Vegas were always short. You know, we weren't there for, for fun. Um, it was about, uh, uh, about 21 hours that we were in Vegas. We'd fly in on a Saturday morning, uh, do the show, and then fly back out uh, Sunday mornings. Well, being a you know a, a young a young kid, I uh, uh, decided I don't need sleep. I'm going to enjoy <laughs> Sin City, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. So um, I, I, I stayed up uh, all night. Um, went back to my room and unfortunately fell asleep um only uh, th this was probably about about 5 5 30 in the morning and the flight was uh, just after seven in the morning now this was before you needed to be at the airport for two hours of course i mean you could show yeah. up 20 minutes before and you know fly right through do the uh um, yeah. um do the old oj simpson hertz commercial you know running through the airport yeah. thing. well <laughs> Uh, about 6.30, I hear a pounding at the door, and it's Larry Nelson, and he took care of me, said, Joe, I wasn't even Polish Joe yet, Joe, <laughs> Joe, we gotta, you know, hey, get up, and I'm scrambling, I'm tired, I, uh, you know, still wouldn't say drunk, but I certainly wasn't sober either, <laughs> and so got onto the airplane finally and thinking, okay, I can, you know, sleep a little bit on the flight home. Well, mid-flight, I woke up with Sherry Martell. It was about like this. <laughs> she was right in front of my face, and she had lipstick. Oh, and no. She had <laughs> lipstick on. And, well, obviously, I knew what she was trying to do. She was going to put makeup on me, and, and I wouldn't know it when I woke up, and I'd be walking through the airport. Well, fortunately, I did wake up. Um, she started laughing, and you know the, the boys around her started laughing. You know, trying to to uh, initiate the the new young kid on the block, and so she got up, and I said, "Sherry, did you get any makeup on me?" Uh, "No, Joe. No, I did not." Well, uh, you know, shall we say I was going to call bullshit until I could prove it myself. And so I decided to try to get up to go to the bathroom to look for myself, get this off as quickly as possible. Well, they did manage to do one thing, and that was to tie both of my shoes to the airplane seat. Oh. So, 
and, and and by the way, in double knots. And so I was finally able to get out, went into the bathroom, and I did indeed see that they did not get it. Came back to my seat. Of course, I mean, what what am I going to do? I I could only laugh. They they got me, but they didn't get me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So then, just one <laughs> one story with scary slash sensational Sherry Martell. Yeah, that's that's a good one though. That's pretty funny. You know, you did a lot of shows with them. Um, you had a lot of interaction with, let's say, rockers, uh, Scott Hall, Kurt Henning, uh, Playboy Buddy Rose, Pretty Boy Doug Summers, Garvin and Regal you talked about. What was your interactions like with those guys as far as, was there a difference with, between when you were in production and then when you were off production was it different i mean was it i don't know how to say it like a not night and day but you know your business when you're in production and you're not in business what was those <laughs> kind of interactions like for you you know the, the the thing with professional wrestlers in general not all of them of course but um uh, and, and i want to say this um respectfully and appropriately but they're all really just a bunch of grown-up kids <laughs> and so uh and which which is great so the the uh you know playing pranks uh on one uh, on one another um just having fun in general but then when it came time to for them to do an interview like on interview day they became professionals. Um, well, basically, once the countdown started, that's when they stopped being the the young kids <laughs> or young children and went professional. They would do their interviews. And uh, uh, later, when I was directing them, they'd come into the control room and ask, hey, how was that? Any ideas, any suggestions? And then once that professionalism stopped, they went back to being little kids again. Uh, it, it's just the way, um, just the way that it was. And uh, part of what I love about the business that uh, it, it never, shouldn't say never, it needed to be business when it was business. Yeah. But it, more times it was just a bunch of grownups pretending to be children and having a blast. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories, I guess, about Kurt Henning <laughs> and what a prankster he was. The yeah, any good stories? Yeah, let's you got any good ones of, of him? I mean, I had the honor of meeting his uh his widow, Leona uh Lenise, Lenise. excuse me. Lenise Henning, uh back at the AWA reunion with with Hank, his youngest son. Really nice uh people uh very yeah. down to earth very approachable i mean i probably talked to her for for 10 minutes and, and her son hank uh just absolutely nice people but let's let's you know lenise i know she was probably the you know the held the family together piece <laughs> and and kurt you know i'm sure he was a good father and i'm sure i'm pretty sure of that but he was a jokester. You got any? You got any stories about old, cool Kurt? 
Uh, it's not a question of any stories. It's which one to tell and which ones I can tell. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, let me start with Lenise. So Lenise and Hank, um, that's the first time I had met uh, Lenise uh, and Hank was at that reunion. Oh, and, um, you know, she, if I'm not mistaken, Mick Karch had said that was the first time she had made a public appearance as it relates to oh. uh, the AWA and professional wrestling. She just liked to stay in the background. You know, she, yeah. she raised the kids and, and did a, a very admirable job. But yeah. um, the, the, one of the stories that I tell about Kurt and I told Lenise this story, um, I call it the 14 story. Okay. So, <laughs> so on one of the trips to Las Vegas, Kurt, uh, I had to stop at the, I had to run to the AWA offices, which is about a half hour from where I lived uh, to pick up some uh, one inch videotapes, which is what we, we recorded um, all of the matches on. And so I just, at the office, get everything done, just pull onto the highway. And I look in my rear view mirror and I see this car driving up like a bat out of hell. And so I'm, okay, I better stay in the right lane here. And the car pulls up right next to me. And I don't notice right away, but it stays right next to me. So I'm like, okay, what the hell is going on? This car, it's not a cop. It's it's just a car, and I look over, and there's Kurt Henning, and he's motioning me to pull over to the side of the road. Now I'm on a I'm on a highway. We are on a highway. <laughs> so I finally pull over. Kurt pulls up behind me on the on the side of the road, on the shoulder of, of this highway. Kurt comes out of his car and he has. Well, let's, he's, he's got a joint in his hand. Ah. And I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Why are you pulling me over? So he hands me the joint to take a hit. And it's like, Kurt, I got to work. Ah, well, you'll be fine with one. So yes, indeed. I, I, I took one toke off of it. And I said, Kurt, that's fine. I got to get into the car. Let's go. So he goes, today? 14's our lucky number. And I go, why 14? He goes, look at the clock. It's 8.14 in the morning. And our flight is 9.14 in the morning. So he goes, 7's our lucky, or 14's our lucky number. And you get 7 into 14 twice. So just keep that in mind. I go, okay, whatever. <laughs> well, and, and the, the, the flight, we get to the airport, the flight number is 777 to go to Las Vegas. It's like, okay, you know, fine, cool. I, and I I knew that. That wasn't like uh, anything out of the ordinary. It was the same flight we took every time to Vegas. Yeah. So we get into the, uh, we, we go to check-in and both Kurt and I are in row seven. He looks at me, goes, you know, pointing above to the numbers. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Kurt. <laughs> we land in Vegas. He goes, hey, you want to split a cab to go to the showboat? Sure. We go to a cab. It's cab 14. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is sort of getting creepy. We we get to 
get to the showboat and check in and we're both on the seventh floor <laughs> it's like uh okay you know whatever starting to get a little eerie yeah but um we I continued on so I'll go and do my my thing I bring the tapes down to the truck I don't see Kurt all afternoon and uh do the the taping and get all of that wrapped up I, I'm in the truck uh, by at that point I was directing the graphics so get back uh after everything's done bring the tapes back to the room go down into the casino and I'm sitting at one of the blackjack tables and right behind us is the roulette wheel Kurt comes and sits at third base, the far left position as you're looking at the blackjack dealer. Yeah. You know, lays down money to play there and turns around to put money down on the roulette wheel. And the dealer says, no, you can only, you can't do both. You can only play one or the other. So Kurt stood up, made sure that nobody was going to take third base because he was going to play blackjack, turns around and decides to put $5 down on 14 on the roulette wheel and I, I have checked my memory always escapes me if it was 14 black or 14 red but it was 14 yeah well guess what hits 14 14 so Kurt is just milking it just 14 14 is it brother okay so <laughs> comes back to the blackjack table he goes you get two sevens, you get a 14, we're doubling down. It's like, okay, that's insane. The first several times that that happens, we both won. I'm like, oh this goodness. is insane. We didn't win every time, but it right. was the majority of the time we would win. We were hot table, cold dealer, whatever you want to call it. So Kurt and I were, were winning quite a bit of money. <laughs> he says, "Hey, let's let's go down on the strip. We gotta we gotta take this streak and go down to to Caesars. So we do that. Same principle, same everything. Oh, by the way, to take to go from the showboat, which was off the strip, go to go to the strip on Caesars. We had to take a cab. Guess what cab number we <laughs> took? It was flipping cab number fourteen. So." We we get done, and uh, you know it's probably five thirty in the morning again. Another night of not sleeping in Las Vegas. <laughs> it's like yeah, we got to wrap this up. We got to head back to the hotel, get our stuff, and get to the airport. Well, I'm up seven thousand dollars. Kurt, whoa, Kurt's up fourteen thousand dollars. He's wow. like, hey, hey, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, Kurt, this is insane. You know, so we get back to the hotel, going to take the cab back to the hotel, and guess what cab takes, or back to the airport, guess what cab takes us to the airport? It's cab flipping 14 again. Different driver, but it was cab 14. And Kurt just would not live that down. He comes in every day the next, the next uh, or we usually had him on Tuesdays. He comes in, he makes sure that he is there at 8 14 so that he could be in the control room to just tell me 
14. Oh I'm like, Jesus wow. Christ, what the hell? He goes, <laughs> and, and, and I kid you not, but I recall him saying, I'm perfect. A yeah, foreshadowing. Yes, of the Mr. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Wow. That, yeah. That's that, a good that, story. It's uh what one I told Lenise and she just smiled and so did Hank and and I can still see Kurt with that ever eating shit eating grin on his face <laughs> of of he um I was at a wrestling show this past weekend and I can't believe I hadn't thought of it, but the best analogy that I can give to what Kurt Henning was like was Dennis the Menace. He just, yeah. he, he loved, <laughs> he loved to mess with people to just, but not, not in a bad way or a mean right. way, but right. just as like a practical joker, or as we say yeah. in the business of river. And he, he was the king of ribs. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories and it was so great to meet, uh, Lenise and, and Hank, like I said earlier. And, I met Joe actually in uh, Dallas last year. Uh, he said he's starting to get back into it. I don't know what he's up to now, um, but great, great family. Um, I've heard a lot of great stories about Kurt, and since you had interaction with him, I was, I was glad to hear. That's a good one, though. The, the Vegas, the seven and fourteen. That's that's great. So, let's talk a little bit about. Um, you know, working in the AWA, you you did a lot of production. Um, did you have a lot of interaction with Vern or, and 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 or Greg or, or Al Darusha, those guys? I know you had interaction with uh, with Larry and Rod Trongar and those guys, but what about that? You know, Vern, uh, Greg, the guys that you know, the owner and the owner's son. What was that kind of stuff like for you? Well, they were, I saw them more than I would see uh, the majority of the talent because Vern and Greg were in the office every day. Uh, okay. The old AWA studio was uh, a renovated old church, uh, single level, single level uh, vaulted ceilings. And when you walked in, um, there's the lobby and then you'd go for, straight ahead and those would be the offices. But when you walk into the lobby, to the right was the studio. So uh, pretty much on a daily basis, I would see and interact with Vern and Greg, uh, uh, setting up the next week's TV, getting uh, formats approved, uh, uh, working on them on interview days, uh, just everything in general, getting uh, scheduling interviews uh, for uh, for talent that wouldn't be there necessarily on interview dates. It was a long, right arduous day anywhere from six to 12 hours long um yeah. but Vern um you, you know you, you have some of his detractors who say that he uh basically that he was a prick but I can't go that far I will say that Vern was a very shrewd businessman uh, he was known in the industry for paying well and being one yeah. of the best payoffs in the business. Um, what I will say about him is he was just one of those guys that had a charisma 
about him, the way he carried himself. And when, when we'd walk into uh, to a restaurant or any place that where there were people, mm-hmm. he was recognized. People yeah. would come up to him. Vern would eat it up and he was a pro. Uh, absolute pro at interacting with the public. Uh, Ate it up and did a fantastic job um, with it. And uh, he was great. He was phenomenal um, to work for, uh, even though my time at the AWA, sadly, was was the end of it. Yeah. Um, But maintained... uh, uh, a, a friendship, really, mm-hmm. with with uh, um, with Vern, so much so that I, I mean, Vern and Nick uh, Nick Bockwinkle were uh, both at my wedding. Uh, oh wow! On my uh, uh, Polish Joe's AWA Memories uh, Facebook page, I I posted the picture. Um, I uh, it's myself in the middle in my tux, and I got Vern on one side and Nick on the other side. The wedding photographer took it and my wife had it blown up to um, poster size and then had both Nick and Vern autograph for autograph it for me, had it framed and she gave that to me. Might, that might have even been, I think, for our first anniversary photo. Wow. And uh, Nick came over to the house one day, uh, had it uh, hanging up and he goes, Joe, you notice something about Vern in the picture? And I'm like, no, it's just Vern in the picture. And he goes, well, take a look at how I'm standing. And, you know, I've, I've got, you know, my arms around both of them. And I was, Nick, Nick was about 6'2". Vern was maybe six foot. So I was taller than them. So, you know, had my arms around their shoulders. Nick is standing there, arms at his side, you know, posing, being Nicholas Bach as he was. Vern, and this is what Nick point, pointed out, Vern is holding my arm that's around his shoulder. He's holding my wrist. And Nick goes, you know why Vern's doing that, don't you? And I go, oh, I don't know. He goes, just wanted to make sure you weren't going to get one up on him. He was always on the defensive <laughs> for that. And wow. so uh, I asked Vern about that. He wouldn't comment. He just, that that Vern Ganya smile and that little... <laughs> little little giggle um was all that he uh that he said about it uh yeah. but you know the, the, got married in 98 and that friendship um keeping that friendship actually got me back into the awa um starting in december of 99 okay. uh and and this uh i'll i'll uh evolve this into uh to greg gun i mean i i I was on good terms with both Vern and Greg at the end of the AWA. Didn't have much interaction with them uh, in the 90s. I had My career had taken me to a uh, uh, working for an educational multimedia company doing uh, production for them. And uh, then I started my own business in, uh, in 1995 and have been self-employed since then. But in December of 99, um, Greg Gagne had called me up and said that uh, they had gotten a sponsor and they wanted to do uh, 13 
half hour shows on uh, on Channel 9, KMSP Channel 9, which is the station that the AWA was on at the end of its run, they had agreed to do 13 half hour shows. And Greg asked if I would come back and uh, uh, produce, direct, edit, do everything for that. And we did. It got to be, the, the, the ratings were fantastic. The response from people was fantastic. And all we did was we used the old footage from the library, matches um, from the Civic Center, you know, whatever it was, and just highlighted a particular talent. You know, it'd be Andre one week, Crusher the next, Hulk Hogan the next, High Flyers, you know, you name it. But it yeah. got so, it, the reception was so good that we were able to um, um, catch the attention of the Hubbard family who owned um, uh, a local station, KSTP, uh, among other media things. The, the Hubbards are, you know, I think they're in the Forbes 400. I mean, they're very wealthy, but they, had, they owned USSB Satellite and they had just sold it to Direct TV. Well, after the three months um, of, of doing the shows, so first quarter of 2000, uh, mm -hmm. Stan Hubbard Jr. said, well, hey, we got USSB. Let's do a test and uh, do a pay-per-view on USSB. So we did a two-hour show, the best of AWA Classic Wrestling Volume 1. Yeah. And the numbers did so well. It was so popular that we ended up doing not only 20, a total of 24 AWA pay-per-views, but we ended up doing, I think it was another 17 pay-per-views using mm -hmm. other libraries. Uh, we did one for Glow. We, we uh, um, a, a gentleman by the name of Mark Nolte had uh, um, uh, access to uh, Florida Championship Wrestling, Memphis, Southwest Championship Wrestling. And so we did a whole, and then later on, Mike Graham and Dusty Rhodes. We did three shows with them to, uh, uh, to, to, to broadcast Florida Championship Wrestling matches, which the Graham family owned. And um, so we did that for about three years until what became the eventual sale of the AWA, uh, we finalized the, um, the, the, the sale in March of 2003 to the WWE. Hello everyone, this is Brian Ferguson, the host of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I wanna tell you about a new podcast out called Fowls Count Anywhere. It is a classic pro wrestling podcast that brings you the legends of wrestling with true wrestling fans, Chris DiCarlo, and Charlie Turner. They bring on guests that are legends in this business, as well as wrestlers of today, promoters, referees, you name it. They have them on there, folks. And I encourage you to listen to them. If you're on YouTube, watch them. They drop every Saturday. They have their podcast. They drop it in the afternoon. So look forward to that podcast coming out. Falls Count Anywhere podcast with Chris DiCarlo and Charlie Turner. Folks, you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. And enjoy the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm kind of iffy on that. I mean, I, I, they don't show to me anyways, they don't show all the really good stuff in that library on when they had the network and now on Peacock, even I just, some of it's good, you know, like wrestle rock, super clash two, one, three and four, or, you know, but uh, super Sunday, but they don't have those classic matches from the sixties and seventies on there. And it's, it's, they got like two shows from the, you know, 87 and five shows from 88. And that's about it. And it's kind of frustrating to me because there's so, I don't, I don't, I think they're doing that on purpose. That's my personal opinion because they had such, they have such great content, which you were a part of, but, and I don't think they want to show it because I think it was better than what they had in their <laughs> era of the seventies and, and, and up to before Vince Jr. took it over. That's my opinion. I don't know what, your thoughts yeah, I, I don't have any insight to to share as to why they don't show more of it. I have heard this exact statement from many yeah. different people saying the same thing. I wish that they would show uh, more of the old matches. Uh, uh, hell, even just showing a, a pulled up version or version without commercials of the old yeah. uh, all-star wrestling. Uh, as a producer, uh, I've never owned a network, but as a producer, the only thing I can think of is that they've got so much content. I mean, think of all of the libraries that they have bought over the years. Yeah. And then they've got their own stuff. You know, the yeah. WWF stuff when Vince right. McMahon Sr. owned it. And I don't know that there's a lot of that on right. their network. You know, um, there isn't no, yeah, you know, and so I don't think it's any slight towards the AWA or any particular territory. I think it's just a there's only so much that we can broadcast. Uh, I mean, yeah. hell, I, I, I think they should do just their own YouTube channel and just uh play for each territory, just do the pulled up version of each of the. Yeah. Uh, of, of the old TV shows and, you know, play them as sequentially as you can. And I say that because at least for the AWA, all of the stuff from the sixties and leading into the seventies was, it was live um, and not many, or at least certainly not Vern uh, and Wally and Al at the time, Al Darush at the time, who was the producer of the AWA uh, from the beginning until he left in, uh, I think, 84 to the uh, WWF for a short bit. But it really, they didn't think about recording those on the videotape because videotape was extremely expensive back then. Uh, mm -hmm you know the big old one inch reels and a 60 minute tape uh weighed about seven pounds and i gosh i may be off on this but it, i, I want to say it was like 70 bucks or more for a single reel and that was a lot of money back then yeah and so yeah. what the awa would do is if they recorded something once they got done using what they wanted to off of it they just record over it and it wasn't until 
really uh, um, starting in the fall of 1980 that uh, Al Darusha started, you know, told Vern, you got to, you got to keep this stuff. You got to yeah. record this and keep this for the future. By, by that time, and certainly even before then, reruns were, were, were big and, and, and um, thinking outside of the box of the weekly all-star wrestling show only, uh, you had to start thinking about it. And yeah. so starting in about the fall of 80, and I remember this because I can still remember seeing Hulk Hogan's very first interview in the AWA, uh, Minneapolis Auditorium, I believe it was. And the interview, there, there's this big monster, Hulk Hogan. He didn't talk because quite honestly, and I think he would admit to this, and he's still green on interviews. I mean, <laughs> he, right, he, yeah. he wasn't what we know uh, of the legend, uh, the deserved title of legend for Hulk Hogan. So they, yeah. what they did back in those days, and I still think they do nowadays to a lesser degree, you couldn't talk, well, we're going to put you with the manager. So mm -hmm. he had luscious Johnny Valiant um, hyping up Hulk Hogan, and that was in August of, uh, of 1980. And thankfully, same time period that Al and, and I'll say Vernon Greg too decided they got to start keeping all of these old shows. And yeah. thankfully they did and had a nice yeah. payday with the sales to the WWF or WWE. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's uh <clears throat> I didn't know that. See, I didn't know they recorded over their old shows. So that's that's too bad because yeah, I know even, they would have had a I mean, even when uh, when I was working there, be, just due to Vern not wanting to spend, to have that budget item, to have that expense, uh, interviews, I had mentioned earlier, every week we would do interviews typically on a Tuesday, sometimes on a Wednesday, where all of the talent would come in and we would do the market edit interviews. We had our the general all-star wrestling show, one-hour show. Come, uh, interviews were anywhere from a minute and a half to two and a half minutes long, depending on the talent and whether or not they could carry an interview for two and a half minutes. And um, a lot of those interview reels, once they were done, we'd save them for a couple of weeks. If there's anything really special about them, we'd spin them off to either a three-quarter inch or another working one-inch tape. And then we'd record over them, sadly. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of those outtakes we don't have. Um, you know, the the uh, sadly at that point, uh, watching the pennies resulted in lost dollars years later. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let me ask you this. After the AWA, did you do any other type of wrestling programming for any other promotion? <laughs> Um, <clears throat> none of the major ones, it's all been for, uh, uh, for indie leagues, uh, here in Minnesota. Um, I've, uh, gosh, I even had my own wrestling league for a short time. Um, but, uh, the, the first company that contacted me, uh, I, I did their shows for a while and then the promoter decided he wanted to get out of it. So I said, you know what, you still got the TV contract. I'm going to take it over 
um, start my own league, which was called the American Wrestling League or AWL. Did okay. that for about a year and uh, didn't make any money on it, despite uh, I didn't lose money. But once the TV contract, uh, it wasn't renewed, I want to say in the summer of 2005. Um, okay. when, when that wasn't renewed, I'm like, I'm a TV guy who just happens to do a lot of wrestling and without a TV contract, I'm don't have any interest in doing it. So yeah. since then I've worked with, um, one, two, three, four other independent, uh, wrestling organizations. In fact, I was just at a, a show this past Saturday, um, Okay. Uh, for uh, Midwest All Star Wrestling or MAW, um, at a show at uh, uh, the Turtle Lake Casino, St. Croix Turtle Lake Casino in Wisconsin. Ah. So they, they hired me to come and direct the show and finish with a cage match. That was fun because it's the first cage match I had directed since uh, December of 1987, the Rockers oh, wow. against Rose and Summers. Uh, and so oh, that was a good one yes and so yeah. you know it was fun so I, I i i joke that professional wrestling just won't leave me alone it keeps following yeah. me the truth is i don't really want it to to avoid me um yeah. but it does you know it, it does keep finding me in fact i mean even yeah. today to get back to greg Ganya, um greg is involved with power town wrestling Yes, yes. And um, um, Power Town is headed up by a gentleman named uh, Steve Rosenthal, who mm -hmm. uh, is credited with starting the genre of professional wrestling action figures with the old Remco dolls. Correct. Uh, yeah. And um, uh, so anyway, they contacted me, and, and uh, so I'm working with them right now to... Good. Uh, to get their product line rolled out and, and launched. Uh, the first figures uh, apparently will be finally released this uh, spring. Uh, yes. I got to tell you, they look, that especially the, the Brody, the Brody yes. action. It's like, holy shit, that looks like Frank Goodish. The same yeah. guy who I gave a ride back to the hotel room, <laughs> back to his hotel after Wrestle Rock. And scared the shit out of me until I got to know him. <laughs> <laughs> I ordered those figures um, back in, I don't know, October, I think it was. And uh, I'm so excited to uh, to get them. I ordered the whole series one set. Yeah. And well, uh, thank I, you for that. I, I will have to add part of the reason for the delay. Um, they were going to be released. They would have been released by now, but they did yeah. um, when they got the first run back. Um, when they went to articulate the legs, it wouldn't go up far enough and it actually oh, broke. Okay. And so oh, rather than develop, okay. a, rather than release a product that we weren't a hundred percent satisfied with, we went yeah. back into production, uh, okay. got them reconfigured, reconstructed, and that's now solved and production now has commenced on those final figures to be released so i'm looking forward to those and uh you know i, I was able to interview stan hansen for it um carrie von eric's daughter 
um, Barb Goodish, um, uh, Bruce Brody's wife, Greg Gagne, Magnum TA, and it, it's just fun. You know, learn yeah. learn several things. Like with uh, uh, Stan Hansen, when when uh, Stan would get introduced, and he would always you know do the hook'em horns, and then would yell you. Well, I asked, I asked him, what were you yelling when you would do that? And he's chuckled and he goes, well, when I first started in the business, it was a shot to the old guys. And what he was yelling was youth. Ah. Youth. Well, he chuckled because now he's one of the old guys. <laughs> and then Barb Goodish, um, I asked her, uh, you know, when, when Brody would come out, why go, how, why, how and why did that start? Yeah. Well, she tells the story that in one of his early matches, he came out and he was clearing his, his throat as he was walking out and he liked the way that it sounded. And so he decided to just go like he's clearing his throat. So there you uh, go. It's just, it, it's a pleasure to, uh, and an honor to talk with yeah. uh, whether, you know, the talent that is still alive uh, or, or their families, just to get that retrospective of yeah. these legends of professional yeah. wrestling. Yeah, I had the honor of, I've interviewed Barbara Goodish probably about a year ago now on here and just a sweet lady. I had the opportunity to meet her at, uh, the CAC reunion in Vegas last fall and this uh, May uh, they're having the Bruiser Brody Memorial up in, in uh, St. Louis. And I'm going to that. Greg will be there, Ganya and uh, a bunch of Stan Hansen. So hopefully those figures will be out because I would love to get my Stan Hansen one autographed by Stan Hansen. So I'm looking forward to that. One last question, Polish Joe. Yep. You're on the... Number one, pre self-proclaimed preeminent podcast, AWA Unleashed. How did you get involved with that? And how's it going with that podcast with you? <laughs> so um, Mick Karch, who is um, one of the other co-hosts along with yes. uh, Chris Tubbs, um, but uh, Nick worked for a very brief time with the AWA back in 1987. Mm -hmm. And Mick and I, I can't even tell you the number of, of shows, um, mainly indie shows over the years, that we have worked together. Um, I've hired him to do play-by-play -play commentary when I had my own league, as I mentioned earlier. And we just had a friendship. And then mm -hmm. last, uh, I, I've seen that they had done the uh, AWA Unleashed. Um, they had a uh, another uh, co-host, George Shire, was part of it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, that didn't work out uh, uh, for George um, or in general for the podcast. And so I ran into... Uh, both Mick and Chris at uh, a wrestling show that I was directing last November. And we just got to talking. Oh, by the way, they had, they did have me on as a guest prior. Right. And uh, um, I 
just talking with Chris and she said, Hey, I'd love to, you know, have you be a co-host. They were down to two and they felt that they, they wanted a third. Uh, they thought that I'd be a good fit. And lo and behold, now for about two, three months, I've been doing the AWA Unleashed podcast and uh, I don't find it to be work. And much like yeah. this podcast, it's yeah. not work. You know, work to me is you have to, I don't know if struggle is the right word, but you got to work towards or put forth yeah. a strong effort to to be, dare, dare I say, good at it. Well, for right. me, it's easy because I lived it. You know, yeah. so it, it's just talking about my experiences, talking about myself, whether it's as a fan growing up watching All-Star Wrestling or yeah. working in the business, um, you know, since 1985, off and on. So yeah. it, it's real easy. I really enjoy it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for your listeners, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't subscribed yeah. to it already, go to YouTube, AWA Unleashed. And, uh, yeah. uh you know, if you don't get a, a, a fill of my voice right now, I know a glutton for more punishment then subscribe to AWA Unleashed <laughs> and enjoy some, some old uh, AWA wrestling stories. It, it is a great podcast. Uh, I have listened to it. I know Mick, I know Chris. Uh, I've interacted with you, uh, and you're a really nice, it's a great show. It really does talk about the AWA and, and that era when, you know, to me and, and to those that listen, what wrestling was wrestling, you know, it was, it was great and it is a great podcast and your addition to it. Cause I've watched it since you've been on there as well. And it is, you guys have a good chemistry together. It feels like it seems like, and you, you mesh well. And uh, it, it, it's good. So I will have all that information down in the description for the AWA Unleashed. Thank you. And uh, one more time, folks, Polish Joe Chupek, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, my pleasure. It's easy and it's just fun to talk about the old, old AWA. Usually I'm sitting... Uh, sitting at some bar and somebody finds out I produced the AWA and uh, uh, what what turns into one question ends up to, uh, as the crusher would say, two tree beers and, uh, uh, or more, and a long, uh, long storytelling. Again, it's easy. I love to do it. Um, I, I have nothing but fond memories of my time with the AWA and, and still to this yeah. day in professional wrestling. It's a very unique industry. Uh, and I, I just, I just love it. Just love it. Yeah, I do as well. And I enjoy doing these podcasts and I want to thank you one more time for coming on Joe. Ladies and gentlemen, Polish Joe, thank you again, sir, for coming on. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. If you're listening, thank you. If you're watching, thank you. And we will talk to you soon.